Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferencecom slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 64. Great interview coming at you today. We get into all kinds of stuff, like tips for finding clients at the start of your career, mental health awareness in music, making content creation frictionless, and of course, the obligatory mastering loudness debate. So stick around for all that and more. Today, for the intro, I wanted to talk about the energy you bring into a session, project, or interaction, and how that affects both you and those around you. So I bring up vibe fairly regularly in my interviews. It's, I guess it's kind of a music term. Maybe at times it's a bit cheesy, but I think it really describes the feeling in a room well. I think I've got a fairly unique perspective on vibe in a room because of my time spent working on songwriting sessions. And I'm sure a lot of you out there that roam those circles can relate to this as well. I spent years doing sessions where the norm was two or three strangers meeting for the first time and then writing a song. A lot of the time, somebody on the session was either maybe on their second session of the day or had to go to another session at some point. So generally, three to six hours was kind of the standard for these, quote, blind songwriting dates. And so every day I went to the studio and I did anywhere between one to three of these sessions. I watched different people interact, learn each other, and then try to create art regardless of whether they seemed like compatible people. And it was fascinating, actually. There was definitely an energy that would develop in a room after like 20 or 30 minutes. And I could usually tell by then whether the day would result in a good song, a bad song, or maybe no song at all. Sometimes people clicked immediately. They would joke around, play each other music, talk about an exciting event in their lives, their last great session, whatever. And then sometimes heads would be buried in phones. People would complain about other sessions or producers. They'd take long phone calls or maybe even pop something on TV while everybody else in the room worked on a lyric or a part of the track. And so I think it's pretty obvious in these two lists which ones resulted in great songs and which ones didn't. And that energy in the room, it would trickle down to the engineer and the assistant as well. If everybody was excited about what was going on, then I'd always be attentive, I'd be bobbing my head, maybe even mentally voting for my favorite ideas that people would throw out, always kind of interested to see what the group would gravitate towards. And then on the other hand, if everybody was a bit checked out, cranky and uninterested, well, unfortunately... I'd also become a bit checked out, cranky, and uninterested. That's just what the vibe in the room was. It kind of takes over. And it should be no surprise that a lot of the time I'd carry that vibe away from the session and sometimes into the next session, where I'd become either the extra positive energy or the extra negative energy in the room. Even after work drinks or hanging out in the lounge with other engineers, that vibe was there. I'd pass whatever my energy was onto whoever else I was with. And I can only speak for myself, but I'd imagine that's the way it is for everybody. Whatever your energy is, you carry it with you. 
Something else that I thought was interesting that I observed doing all these sessions is that I saw a difference in fake and real emotion. You might think, well, if good vibes bring good songs, then I just need to be happy-go-lucky all the time and everything will be fine and dandy. But what I actually saw is that this idea of being artificially excited would work to a certain extent, but that as soon as the song hit any real hurdle, the group would quickly abandon the idea and they'd start again. And now starting again is not a horrible idea. It can take time to spark inspiration in these blind date situations, so you're, you're going to have false starts. But I feel like everybody would get on the road to inspiration a lot quicker if there wasn't these false senses of excitement every time there was an idea. And of course, those were always the sessions that ended with lots of melody ideas or lyric phrases and never a finished thought, yet alone a song. Then on the other side of that, I've seen people come in down and out for whatever reason and be open to sharing what's going on in their real life, even when it's negative. And the group would come together and they'd write an amazing song to put that experience into the world for others who are going through the same thing. No artificial excitement needed. I actually once heard a songwriter tell the rest of the group that the biggest song they ever wrote was in a session they almost didn't go to because of something that had just happened in their life. They went into that session with that real emotion and they put it into a song. And it's not my story to tell, so I'm going to leave it as vague as that, but I will tell you that this song was massive, absolutely massive. And I'd imagine that that person is not alone and that that is not an uncommon story for songwriters. So I think the point that I'm trying to make with all this meandering I feel like I'm really meandering on this one, is that the energy you carry with you affects those around you. If you've got a negative energy in a session, even if you're the assistant and not saying anything, people will notice that energy and they will react to it. Same with a positive energy. It's very easy to be a silent supporter of a good vibe with something as basic as the way you sit. And as I kind of touched on, a good vibe doesn't necessarily come from, quote, a happy place. Maybe it comes from a supportive place or a this is real life place. If somebody needs to channel something into art, then a good vibe means to support that. And a bad vibe is saying something like, yeah, that sucks for you, but my manager said that Rihanna's looking for up-tempos. So I guess this intro is kind of just a reminder to be real, authentic, and present in the situation you're currently in. Don't go into a session, performance, or meeting uninterested in being there or faking how you feel. I guarantee that whatever you are about to do, there are at least a thousand other people that would kill to be doing it. So don't get stuck and harp on the idea that you have to do something. Instead, embrace the fact that you get to do something and bring the best vibe you can to do it with. Today's guest is mixing and mastering engineer Nicholas DeLorenzo. Nicholas is the owner and operator of Panorama Mastering in Melbourne, Australia. Since opening the studio six years ago, Panorama has been involved in over 3,000 projects, including names such as Tintendo, Ava King, Dugong Jr., as well as all of the usual industry players from Universal Music Group to Sony ATV. He's also super gracious about sharing knowledge and passionate about the listener experience. So welcome to the show, Nicholas DeLorenzo. What's up? How you doing? I'm doing beautifully well. That's um, a well, well put together intro. It's really weird hearing, you know, any of your credits or things sort of read out and put on like a, a pedestal for people to hear. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I did that. Um, I'm doing well. <laughs> it's good. How are you doing? How are you feeling jumping into this? I am good. I just, uh, I was just telling Nick that we, I just got off a podcast like 10 minutes ago. So I may accidentally ask him a question about like blockchain or something because I haven't switched, switched sides. I did a bonus episode about crypto and blockchain. It's going to be interesting. Oh, okay. I've got my ears open for that. Yeah. Cool. It'll probably be out before your episode. So you'll see it. Yeah. Well, that's all right. But uh, yeah, that's, man. That's exciting. I'm glad we could finally do this. This is going to be a good hang. 
yeah, Carl places you in high esteem and he's like, you're going to kick it off with Travis. Trust me, you guys will kick it <laughs> off. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, like I'll reach out and I reach out. And I'm like, we went back and forth a little bit. I'm sort of like hanging out for this podcast because I'm like, you know, I, I want this to happen. Carl said we're going to kick it off. We're just going to be best of buddies. So so let's let, let's jump into it. I know. Carl's putting a lot of pressure on this relationship from up from uh, from the beginning here. I know, I know. But uh, yeah, I love that dude. He, he's, a, he's a good hang. But I listen to you on um, Ben Wallach's show, Secret Sonics too. I think that's where when I started following you on Instagram when you were on, on that show. So we've been destined to hang out on the internet and, and now here we are. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And if anybody's, I'm not trying to push push listeners away from your podcast, but um, Ben's podcast, you know, uh, you having listened to it as well, we can both attest that it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible what he does there as well. Oh yeah. I'm a big supporter of all the shows that I was listening to, like when I started and all the people I've met. Ben and New Working Class Audio and Matt Boudreau and the Six Figure Home Studio guys that now have a different name. But there's so many great podcasts. Hopefully, um, you guys will keep listening to mine, though, or at least finish this episode before you move on. <laughs> that's it. That's literally, you stole the words out of my mouth. So, you know, guys, you know, don't get me punished for for mentioning other podcasts on this podcast episode. Otherwise, you won't have me on again. Yeah, no, you're, you're good. Okay, so I got to ask you, are you going to the gym at like three o'clock in the morning? On your Instagram, it looks like you're going to the gym at three o'clock in the morning, or is that three o'clock yes. in the afternoon? No, three three thirty, sometimes three forty five in the morning. Yes, in the morning. And uh, why do you do that? You love it because I can. Because you can. Because I can. Well, the thing is, like, I, I, I sit my ass at the desk for twelve hours of the day. At the end of the day, forget about it. I'm not going. Oh, like, yeah. I'm dead. I'm like, I want to get home, get what has to be done at home, and then just sit for like twenty minutes before I need to go to sleep. So first thing in the morning, get there. Yeah, it's just, I, I know the time's weird, but it's sort of like I, I pack out my schedule throughout the day and I work my ass off. So I'm like, I need to get there in the morning. This morning I did not go, which means what I've done is I just stayed at home at 3.30 because I was up for it, but I'm like, not going to the gym. I need to get some work done. Instead, I'm going to go to the skate park at the end of today. Nice. Because the weather's good and I'm like, you know what? That's the trade-off. No gym in the morning, but we'll go to skate park afterwards. You know, it's just a little thing. Keeps me happy. If I don't do it, I, I get shitty with myself. I feel crap. And not because I'm like a gymaholic or fitness freak, just because, you know, at the end of the day, I think the, the story stems from this. Um, I always get my, 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 my general medical like every year or so with my doctor. And he goes, Nick, um, I don't know if it was my liver or something. I, something was just fucked up. He's like, Nick, you, you need to drink less alcohol and exercise more. And I'm like, I don't really drink that much alcohol. It's just like a glass a night or something. But he's like, you have to drink less of that and you need exercise more. Okay, okay. My doctor tells me to do something. I listen, I go, okay, I'll do it. Do it. And it's not like I I started like Googling shit and being like, oh, you know, um, how how to put a gym routine. I just, just go there, do my thing. I, I used to like really be into it years ago, but now I'm just like, just go there, do what I do. It's half an hour. If it's 20 minutes, if it's an hour. Yeah. And then I get back to my day. That's awesome. I, I mean, I love it. I get up at five o'clock in the morning, so I, I don't. I'm not judging you for getting up at three thirty. And I, I enjoy going for a run or or working out. I just, so many people in the music business, especially in like the production side and the engineering side, they just don't get up and they just hurt and then they complain about how they hurt. And I mean, I exercise every day, and my knee hurts right now. <laughs> so you know, it's just like you're still gonna hurt while you're sitting here because I mean, let's let's be honest, I'm getting older. But uh, yeah, I love the gym. I get so many ideas like on a run. Like I'll be like. 
I'll just stop and just, I have to like punch some idea in for the podcast or, or whatever. And then I can keep going. I just, I don't know if you get that, like if you get any creative inspiration from it, but I definitely do. I, I, uh, I think everybody should work out a bit, but anyway, yeah, off my high horse of working out. Um, <laughs> let's talk about you and how you got into music and why you master records. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll make it a quick spiel. So then you can like pull apart things and, and, and we can go on different tangents because that's usually totally. more fun than me sort of saying the same sort of thing. I did this and that and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, the whole idea is I was playing piano when I was a young kid, um, then eventually drums and then was recording the bands I was in at, in high school. I'm like, I love recording, but I was recording my own stuff. So I had full autonomy. That's why I loved it. Because what <laughs> happened was when I started um, interning at recording studios, I'm like, I fucking hate it. I'm shit at it. Because the thing is, it's one thing recording something for yourself. You have to do different takes. You're sort of managing your own creative creative timeline and path. And you, you've also got different temperaments, which you understand. You know when you're you're on it. You know when you're off it. So, you know, I was good for myself. But then as an intern, I hated it. It's like it's you'd be at like 11 p.m. in the studio. You've told the vocalists that, you know, they're going to be doing their takes next. And then the head engineer's like, where are they? And you like you find out they're down the road somewhere, fifteen minutes away, and you're like, "What, what the fuck?" So you gotta you gotta go run after them. You're you're working to time, and it's like, uh, so so like no, it didn't connect with me. So I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm not doing that." <laughs> I, I said I was gonna make this quick, so I'll, I'll quickly get to the cadence very shortly. So then I'm like, "I'll do anything. I'll do PR. I'll do event management. I'll 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 be a paper boy. I don't care. I just want to do something in the music industry. I, I didn't care what it was." Then eventually, I got an internship assistant position at a mastering studio. This is cool. It's nine to five. You kick back on the couch. People aren't, you know, finishing half a bottle of scotch or whiskey before they they jump in to do their takes. You're not, you're not, you're not running <laughs> around to one in the morning. This is cool. I'm still listening to music. I love it. So that was good. And because the engineer um I was interning and assisting for, they had a bit of credibility around Melbourne and around Australia. Um, all the people I was going to uni with or people I'd played with in the past were like, hey, we want you to work on our stuff. So I started freelancing. That sort of built up. And then I'm like, I sort of got to a point where I can't be in my bedroom doing it. I have to build something. And then I built this. And that's sort of the story. That's my short version. So yeah, take of it what you will and 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 we'll we'll move. Well, I, I love it. That would that that is the short version. You answered a few of my questions too. My list is getting short over here. <laughs> I did want to ask, did you grow you grew up in Melbourne? Yeah. What's the the studio scene like over there is it kind of like the the new york los angeles scene where like you get in a recording studio and you're a runner is is or is it smaller studios like is it more like this traditional story that people tell you about the big studios over there the largest one here in melbourne was sort of sing sing studios at its peak where where they, they would take on interns in that nature but a lot of the studios uh at least in melbourne now are more so owner operated you still have larger facilities with like three or four rooms and they've got different engineers throughout them, but they, but they tend to be a little bit more of an intimate sort of relationship where you'll deal directly with the engineer who's also the producer and then you sort of work your way with them to get more responsibility. So it's sort of similar, but just at a much smaller scale. It's, it's not as, as large a scope. Somewhere in like Sydney where they've got Studio 301, that's definitely a much more built-out facility. Okay, But yeah, in Melbourne, it's, it's a lot of individual owner operators, you know, sprawled throughout. Got it. Okay. I just, I feel like that's kind of where the whole world is going. You know, the studios that are huge and amazing are, they're always going to be here, but I don't think anybody's going to open anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I agree. I've seen some interesting things happen in the background of the way some larger studios are opening up now. Okay. Especially there's there's one which I, I'm going to be having a chat. I might not say their name, but I'm going to be having a chat with them in a couple months anyway. They get to open. But I, I've seen a few like sort of companies in the digital media space migrate, you know, their services to encompass having a large format recording studio as part of their media facility. And then it sort of branches into the music industry in that way to capture market. Yeah, right. I've seen that happen a little bit. And that that's an interesting model because there, there's quite a high cash flow, like a, what's the word for it? Passive income for those businesses because it's it's not like a traditional model. We need a book X amount of time. This is how many days. These are the engineers. These are overhead. It's and you're like unless you're filling out those blocks, you're not actually making money. Whereas these businesses, because they're media based, um, in terms of um, media publishing, media uh, management based, they've got some passive income coming back off the kickbacks of the assets and the intellectual property they make. So right, yeah, it's just interesting to see that. Yeah, that is a different model. Now that now that you say that, I think about like the studios that I know have popped up in LA, and they're all tied to, yep, you know, a giant tech company <laughs> of one of one sort or another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's always really an interesting model, which I think people need to explore. There was um one studio in LA, and their model was basically off the back of a label. They were signing the artist, so this artist could use the studio as, as much as they wanted. Okay. Whatever they wrote, whoever they collaborated with, whatnot, they got a cut of the the action, you know, as a, any label would. But that's how they sort of ran the studio. Rather than doing traditional time blocks, they'd just take in really good talent, open the doors to the talent, and then take points off that. That's interesting. Well, you're rolling the dice and playing the long game on that one. Yeah, but it's just a different way, it, and it, and it makes sense because to actively fill out studio time, you need to be it's not as scalable because you have to do it. You've only got 365 days in the year and you have to fill out those days. Any days you lose out on, you've lost that money. It's gone. It's yeah finished. Whereas um, when you're actually tapping into the publishing side, the licensing side of things, your media company, you're tapping into the perennial value of whatever assets are created because it's not just today's money. It's what happens if this lands a sync deal in three years? What happens with its streaming? What happens if in like, I know there was once, oh, what was the name of the song? I, I can't remember it. It blew, it, it blew up. It, like when it was first released, probably like 10 years ago, it got like a million streams. It was, it was an electronic track. I should know this. It's on the tip of my tongue. Let me go Facebook. Um, anyway, it got like a million streams. It was an electronic dance track, um, you know, whatever. Then it got remixed and it, it was like two years ago. It got like a billion streams. Oh, wow. And the original artist retained 20% right in it, and they, they, they made huge kickbacks. That's true, yeah. If you were running your business like that, then you almost, you, you can end up in that label position where, like, you have, your, you have your Katy Perry or Taylor Swift that pays for all the other artists that you sign. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you could have that one massive two-hour session that pays for your whole year, and you can keep bringing in other artists. That is kind of fascinating, actually. Yeah, but a lot of, a lot of those companies have the the equity behind them to build an amazing facility, to have really good human resources in terms of their PR team, graphic design, whatnot. So that way that, you know, you can attract the, the right sort of talent. When you go to, you can go to a big artist and say, hey, this is the infrastructure I've got. This is the team that will be working for you. You want to come here, use it. 
all cool, man. That's very cool. Okay, so now that we're talking about kind of random business models, I, I got a couple questions for you. Yep. I was on your website, and you, you've built a studio. You're running a facility of your own. Your pitch to your potential clients is very thought out and like very thorough. You kind of define expectations and timelines. And basically, it reminds me of, dare I say, a business when talking about music. And I feel like most musicians are like all about the vibe, but I feel like you approach it very differently. Do you find that that makes your interactions like significantly more just positive all around? No, the thing is like, how do I put it? Okay, whether it's an artist or a label producer, because producers are spending their artists' money. You know what I mean? So it's like... That's right. Especially if they haven't worked with you. That, that, that website is just for people who haven't worked with me. People who work with me, people who are referred to me, they know the way I flow. They know... They, they understand my dynamic and we get we get along. For new clients, okay, so you, you've got, let's say you're working for somebody, you've got $600 to, to get XYZ done and you, you're coming to me. You're like, shit, um, I'm going to be sending my clients money. This is not good. I'm fucked because I'm going to answer to my artist to say why the hell this mix sounds like shit. Or why is it taking so long or whatnot. The, the reason why my website is set up as such is so that when somebody engages with me, they know what they're getting. They can come in and go, oh, this is the process. Oh, okay. This is how he approaches it. Oh, okay. These are the things he does. These are the things he delivers. And you would have seen it in my rate deck as well, where it's even more granular yeah. than what's there. And it's like, well, it's my responsibility to show that because that's how I work, number one. And number two... If anybody has any further questions, at least they've got a baseboard of knowledge to sort of bounce off to go, hey, you say, let, let, I'm just on my website now, uh, you say in discovery, you're trying to clarify your, what your goals are or whatnot, okay, for mixing. How do we do that? Okay, well, now you know my process, I can explain that to you a bit further, we can get a bit more in depth, it allows them to sort of settle on, is this guy somebody I want to work with? Or is this just a bunch of bullshit that I don't want to deal with and I just want to send it off? I don't want to talk to them. I just want to get something back. Yeah. No, I, I think it's good. The website's got a really uh, a really great vibe to it and uh, it's, it's laid out really well. And um, that's why I just, I love to notice how different engineers and producers and mastering, I love to, to see the way that people present themselves and brand themselves because I know that I'm awful at it. So when I see people that are doing things that I think are cool and also like very different, I'm always like, hmm. I wonder how that is. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. The other thing that I think is really cool, and I can imagine, you know, you know your answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is you go to the team page. And this is, I really love this. Like, you know, if I go to like a mastering engineer's team page, I expect to see like, you know, the assistant and the junior engineer and whatever. And on your team page, you have guitarists and producers, songwriters, mixers, vocal editors. Are you able to offer all of these things or these are just all collaborators that, that you enjoy working with and support? Well, how do I put it? 
I have a wide net with my web presence, so I'll get inquiries about pretty much anything. Even if you just say, I'm just doing mastering, you're going to get somebody coming in wanting to do songwriting or a recording session with you or something. Yeah. So for me, the people that are on that team, the people that are listed there, specifically for fill gaps, which I never could, and they also do an insanely good job at it. Yeah. So it's not just people I've sort of like picked and I go, oh, I need to fill this, I'll put that there. These people are really good at operating and doing what they do. So that way when somebody comes to me, hey, want to work on this record, I need some vocal production done, I know Jeremy who's on there is incredible at it. And I facilitate that through to him because then what happens is the client goes, oh, Nick sent me to Jeremy. And that vocal production was insane. And that positive experience will always stick with them that I, I sent them to, to so-and-so. Um, same with the metal mixing with, with Mike. I don't mix metal. I, uh, when it comes to guitar tone and, and dialing that in in a mix, horrible at it. Like, <laughs> horrible. Same. So, same. yeah, I'll send it to Mike. And, and, and that's why I have that team curated there. And most people even skip that page and they still go into my emails. But those are the people I push out to. You would have seen it in the rate deck. It gets super granular, but you can see that there with full transparency. So people know, hey, Nick sent me there. Nick gave me the positive experience. So yeah. Yeah. No, I I think it's a cool idea. And it and it's like it's brings so much more value than your than just the task that you do. And I think that that leaves an impact. Like I think about conversations I've had with people that, you know, I'll help somebody out. And then two years later, that person will be like, oh, you should have Travis mix your record. And it's like sometimes just being like a positive force in the community, kind of like it brings somebody back around, you know, two years, three years later. So I, I think it's cool. I just, I wanted to, I just wanted to make you say it on the podcast. I, I probably figured that was what you were going to say. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, no, you said that at the start of it. I don't know why. I thought I was putting like to get, like you said it. And when you said, oh, I know what Nick's going to say, I'm thinking, oh, this will be easy. This will be quick. And then I, I don't know I tried to put together a thesis for you after because I just got so like excited about the question because I'm like, oh, these people are fucking awesome. Like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's that's the thing that I've noticed since I've started following you on the internet and sent you some messages is you're very like supportive of the community and just like, you know, sharing knowledge. I asked you a mastering question and the other day it saved my ass and on a project and I you know, I appreciate that you were like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I do. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm perfect. So yeah, man, I just, I, you know, I wanted to highlight that uh, you're good, good people. Yeah. That's really humbling. Thank you. Let's do a couple questions for like aspiring mastering engineers or, you know, people that are considering getting into mastering. Something that as a mixer, I know, like as soon as I'm done with a mix, somebody says to me, who's your mastering person? Like who, who, who should I send this to? And I have some names that I give them. And it always makes me think about mastering. If you're a new mastering engineer and you're like trying to build a client base, do you think the majority of it comes from those relationships and, and mixers and producers passing your name along? Or do you think you need to start like drawing people in on the internet somehow? My thing has always been, and this is something I regret when I started out, I was always like, so you see my online presence now and it's, and it, and it's quite active, but that's just sort of like because at the moment, it's become sort of like a passive, creative, enjoyable experience for me. It's sort of like, oh, I like putting this stuff together. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's yeah. it's, it's my creative outlet because I can't write music to save myself. Um, so, so that's what I do. Uh, when I started out, it was a vessel, especially early on, to get clients in. So like, especially when Facebook ads were super cheap, I was running them and you'd get voluminous amounts of work in. But 
it was short-term lived because it's like, yeah, you get all this work in and they're just one-time clients, they're low-ticket clients, they're people putting their first song together that just release a song because they've they got a little bit of cash to, to, to blow or whatnot. And yeah, it's, business-wise, numbers on a page, it's good for the two, three months, the year that you do it. But long-term, none of those relationships really sustain. So something, and even now I've really withered it down to small numbers. If I had to start again, the clients who I worked with, like the the people who I was in bands with, that, that I was playing with, those clients would have been maybe half a dozen, you know, really early on. I would have just focused every bit of attention on them and only them. And the reason being is because now I'm at a point where I migrated my business from working with everybody and artists and everybody under the sun to predominantly focusing on artists, sorry, producers and engineers. And the reason is because I can give 20 engineers and producers so much more attention than I can three, 400 artists. So now all I do is the people who have worked with me, not necessarily casting out a wide net, but the people who have worked with me, the people who have vouched me to other people or whatnot, I just focus all my effort on them. Yeah. And if you're starting out, that's what you should do. If you have three clients, that's insane. Think of it like um, compounding interest on an S&P 500 yeah. index. You, you know, the first few years, you know, you, you put your money in, your 100 bucks, you know, you only get a 3%, uh, 5%, 6% return the first year, but then compounded over 10 years, it's it's like doubled. So my thing is like, if you're starting out and you've got three clients, you've got one client, you've got five clients, however many the number is, know everything about them, talk to them, help them, support them, give them resources, just double down on absolutely putting them up on a pedestal before yourself and they will become ambassadors for what you do. They'll be the people at the front of the line. Yeah, you can call it word of mouth, but word of mouth is, yeah, I had a good job with this so-and-so, you should try them out. An ambassador is somebody that puts your name at the forefront of everything and goes, hey, Nick this, Nick that, you know, that's that, that that's what I would, I would, I would appeal, you know, people to do um, if they're trying to start out in mastering because it is – it is a business that you do need quite a bit of volume of projects in. Yeah. But chasing that for the short term isn't necessarily the best long-term strategy. The best long-term strategy is whatever clients you have, focus on them. Give them all your love and attention you possibly can. Yeah. That's actually, I don't I don't know, our audience can't see this, but I had like a big aha moment on my face. But yeah, if you, you, you would take, it would take you so long to stay in touch with like two, three, 400 artists. But if you have 30 or 40 ambassadors that all have 30 or 40 clients of their own, you're doing way more. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight for people what I took away from that where I was like, oh shit, that's genius. And we, we started this podcast off praising Carl and, and Ben Wallach's podcast right there. I mean, it's a perfect example of like when people are like big fans of somebody, they will totally go to bat for them, you know? Yeah. And they're two people who like, I am, I, I will do anything. Like I've even said to Ben, Ben, Tell me what you're doing with the podcast this year. Anything you need, let me know. I'll help you. Yeah. I, I showed yeah. him how to, I, I was like, how are you edi- editing your videos for reels? Oh, it's, it's a bit clunky, blah, blah, blah. I go, just drop everything into Logic. It'll all work. Cut it in there quickly. Done. Do the audio and the video together. Export it as you need, and then you're done. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Wait, you can cut the video in Logic? Yeah, he was cutting video in Logic. I'm 99% sure, or, or Pro Tools. I know you can cut video. Let me just make sure I'm not eating my words. Synchronize and edit video and audio in Logic Pro X. Yeah, you can. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, well, you know, you know what? Uh, totally, people listening to this aren't going to care at all. But I got, I got so uh, jealous of Ben when him and I were chatting podcast, and he was like, "Yeah, I can, I can work at like you know one and a half speed on my edits and logic." And I was like, "I can't do that in Pro Tools." I was like, "This is taking oh, me for, yeah. forever." <laughs> yeah, that, and I, that's you can like, do it like you could speed it up, but I can't work the way I want to work while it plays back faster. Like there's like it, the way that it works yeah. it slows me down, and I'm like, "Oh, this this is a bummer." But I mean, I'm, I refuse to switch to logic. It's not happening. It's, so yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I tried doing one of my templates in logic, like my mix templates in logic. And the way like VCA faders work in it and the way it lays out auxiliary channels is so clunky. I'm like, yeah, for creative, like producing and getting ideas out. Yeah, oh, cool. But like coming from Pro Tools, it's, it's a bit of a leap for me at least. Are you master in Pro Tools, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so easy. It's so good. It's all my routing's internal in there. To export's easy. Like I will say this: there's one shortfall with Pro Tools, which I wish it did have, was the ability to to batch my exports into different formats. Because mm. what I yeah. find myself doing is taking the native WAV files, native sample rate, native um, bit depth, and then pulling them into audio editor and batch exporting them on the batch editor in isotope yeah um because then i can do the 320 i can dither it down do the 16 bit that's one shortfall of pro tools but um yeah hopefully we're getting away from having to deliver as many files some of the conversations that's been happening with like bobcats and um a lot of the stores and whatnot is sort of migrating all the high res stuff to just negative one decibel true peak minimum 44 one and as long as it's the native sample rate and bit depth, like what ADM is, Apple Digital Masters, they request keep everything native, don't yeah. upsample, don't downsample. That should be really the only file we'll need to deliver in the future, which would be like music to my ears. Like it'd be like, oh, wow, I don't need five times the amount of um, cloud storage for every project. That's great. Perfect. Let's do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, what's your opinion? Because I feel like it varies, you know, all over with mastering engineers, loudness and streaming. Are you mastering records loud enough that they just feel great? Or are you targeting luffs and, and thinking about that stuff? What's your move, if you're willing to share? Yeah, I, I mastered a record. Um, when was it? Uh, this week I was working on it and I just did the revision for it. That was integrated. The final luffs was negative six integrated long term. Congratulations. I know. I felt, no, 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 no. Okay. No, but there was a very real reason for it. It wasn't because I was actually chasing loudness. The reference they gave me was this like huge 808 bass, but it was creatively crunched the fuck out of. Like it was ridiculously distorted. Like it was like speaker flapping distorted, but creatively for the style, it was like cool. I get this. I understand this. Like creatively, it just worked. If you did not slam the fuck out of it, if you didn't slam the fuck out of the master, it wouldn't have that same vibe. Yeah. So anyway, that, that, that I just thought was funny. I was like, oh, that was a, that, that was like a really cool experience for me as a mastering engineer because they're like, we want you to distort the crap out of this, but do it in the most musical way possible. And I'm like, okay, this is fun. And we went a bit back and forth. I made, had to make a few tweaks, but got there. So anyway, am I chasing loudness? No. What I am doing is I'm just ch chasing the creative of each project. Yeah. And you have to respect each project. It's like some projects, like if you're doing a dance record, um, 
the context of it is, well, the label's sending it to me. What's the label doing before they release it? They're sending it out to a bunch of DJs to play in sets. What are those DJ? What do they want? They want those DJs to play that in their sets. They want a few times now. Is Armin Van Buren who runs one of his um, radio stations? A few times now, you know, masters I've done for clients have have ended up being played on that radio station. The label wants it loud. That's it, because they know that's the context. These DJs are going to get it. They're going to play it. They don't care about loudness matching. So, you know, that's what's important. So you've got to deliver for that. When it comes to the streaming platforms, the way I view the normalization process is that it's for the user experience at the end. Okay. You make the music however you want. You make it super loud. You make it super dynamic. You can't make it super dynamic. That's the one sort of flaw in the system. But, you know, you make it to what it's meant to be. Okay. Then when it goes on that platform, Spotify says, well, you know what? We want people listening to music to to not have to move their volume. Fair enough. We're not going to compress it. We're just going to bring it down in volume. And then another track we might bring down a little bit more, a little bit less. So my goal, I don't care what Spotify's doing. I do care about it going up because there are limiters. So it has to, sometimes you're going to be conscious of being too dynamic. Sometimes better to control it yourself than have Spotify have a limiter on the end when they're gaining up. Right. Yeah, you just you just serve the music as creatively as possible. And then, you know, the user experience that Spotify provides is is one which people can turn on and off. And if they have it on, your music sounds great because you made it sound great in mastering. And if they turn it off, it still sounds great because it doesn't really matter. Um, that's how I see it. Like I just it's like <laughs> that's a good that's a good answer. <laughs> it's just it's just people get too funny because you know you know why there's so much discussion around it is because people like trying to cheat the system. They're like, oh, you know, if you make it su- super loud or you're chasing the loudness, where it's going to sound worse. And it's like, yeah, that that can be the case, and that's completely valid. But you shouldn't be chasing negative fourteen luffs because. Uh, it's the number Spotify uses. Because I remember the first few years they were introducing this. I put a video up about it like way back when, but then I took it down because people get funny in the audio realm, especially the like the high fidelity sort of, uh, the, um, what's it called? Like the audio file realm. Oh yeah, yeah. But they changed the target like three times within 18 months. Like it was one point it was negative 18. Then it was, they were talking about bringing in negative four. Like it, it actually shifted that target. So it's like, you shouldn't be playing into that. That is a user experience end sort of thing. You focus on your job. Make sure that record yeah. will sound good regardless of where it's played and how it's played. If it's played loud or played soft, it should still sound good. It doesn't really matter. That's your job. Yeah. The rest, you don't have to worry about. Yeah. Well, you think about like up until, you know, recently, the point of finishing a record is to just make a record that everybody working on the record agrees sounds great. And it's only since the internet has made it very apparent to people that there is a loudness target and there's, you know, websites that you can check your penalties and stuff like that. Now people are talking about like, oh, well, do we need to service this differently? And so now all of a sudden, what, like you said, what are you going to do three or four masters? You're going to have your vinyl master. You're going to have your Spotify master. You're going to do your YouTube master. Like, why don't you just make one file that's going to sound great? Yeah. That's what we did for a hundred years, hundred how long we've been recording music? 120 years? Yeah, but, years? And, and I'll be honest. The, the, there are times where I'm so fucking busy. I don't even, I, I just tune out to things going on in the audio world because I'm like, well, I've got one brief. Like, it's, And I think all, anybody listening to this that's in the music industry has this brief. Create great sounding music. <laughs> it's like, that's your brief. Yeah. So go, go into the studio if you're a musician, perform as incredibly and as well as you can. Make sure you practice your... 
if you're an engineer, make sure that the record you're working on, you, you've done, you've exhausted all your options. You've done all the automation you possibly can. Every edit, every little, you know, bit of sibilance, anything that's that that's intrusive to the, to the creative of that record, you've dealt with. Yeah. Focus on that. Don't don't be in don't be in a forum going on negative fourteen this that the other debating you know in a thread for thirty two comments and then and then and then you're like oh well what did you actually do today oh yeah I was on Facebook I I told that person negative fourteen laughs it's like you know that that's super <laughs> conducive to your career it's like you're you're really moving places actually just you know focus on what you need to be doing in the studio because respectfully you know that's what you love that's what you got into it for you didn't get into it to be you know, debating negative 14 laughs. It's like, it makes no sense. But, you know, the good thing is, and, and this is something I respect for people who do go into that technical, the Audio Engineering Society papers that are curated on these topics are incredible. Like the, the recommendations for the, for that sort of stuff that have been put forward by, you know, um, peer-reviewed papers, I, I think that's good because it's a, you know, together effort. It's an effort that, you know, everybody's on board. We, we're, we've, we've got something, we've got a topic of, contention in our industry let's 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 work towards it let's make some recommendations and those papers are really good to read but yeah online you know you you know having a back and forth debate about you know which limiter or this or that to use you know like who, who gives a shit just go fucking do you like do your job you know it's, i know makes no sense you you make me think about like you know opening pro tool sessions from successful producers or you know seeing like what goes into like big songs and to see like the plugins that are used or or the the condition of something and you're just like yeah you can't sit around and talk about the most expensive plugin ever when i can tell you that there's hit records that are being used with like the the stock stuff they just made great music and they put stock plugins on it and you know what it yep. sounds great so you got to focus on the music you know it, it's fun to nerd out though but you know you can't get lost in it yeah exactly um Man, I know this. I know this is your thing, but I feel so bad because I haven't really like jumped on you to find out more about about Travis. I'm like, oh no, we're jumping in this call. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get to know a whole bunch about Travis, and I haven't. So I know this isn't a podcast interview to you, but I like out of curiosity, what piqued your interest in in stalking me? You know, and and then and then I'm gonna ask you some questions because. You know, between the Valentine's Day box of chocolates you got on my way for next week and everything else going on, it's it's getting a little bit weird. So, you know, fill me in. <laughs> What's up here? <laughs> no, you know what it is, is uh, it's the same thing that drew me to want to have Carl on the show and get to know Carl. Okay. And it was just the the conversation that you had with, with Ben on Secret Sonics. I, I just like, I liked your approach and your, it was just a casual, very informative I don't. I was just like, oh, I, I, I like this person. It's, uh, you know, I can't really put a pin in it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's. I mean, that's what it was. I listened to it and I was like, I like this guy's vibe. And then when we chatted the other day, we were talking about like, what we talked for fifteen minutes and we covered everything from like career change to work life balance. You just seem like you're very in line with a lot of the things that kind of inspired me to have a have a podcast. So that was, you know, that's how you ended up here. Interesting. And how many podcast episodes are we in now? Ooh, I don't know what this is going to be, but uh, 60 comes out next week. Okay. So this is going to be in the 60s. So Okay, so a sizable amount. All right, so this this is a question to you. How have you found networking through your podcast in terms of connecting with people that resonate with you as opposed to um, what what came before it? Actually, what came before this podcast? How did you used to connect with people before it? Just in studio 
social circles, really. Okay. I wasn't a very good networker. I mean, if we're going to be honest and, and stuff, but uh, this is what I found is that in doing a podcast that kind of reflects the, like where my head's at and like the way I want to approach things, I found more people that are in line with those things. I guess I'm indirectly looking for people that I want to have conversations about, you know, I want to have conversations with like-minded people. Yeah. So that's what I've found has come from it, you know. Interesting. Yeah, I know. Okay. I, now I'm going to, now I feel like I have to sit here quietly and wait for your next question. No, no, no. I am going to ask <laughs> one more question because um, I'm going to allow the podcast listeners to judge you. Oh God. Okay. So you, you talk about like, um, it's like, it's like I'm doing in a current affairs piece or something. Uh, no, no, no. So people that resonate with you, people that have the same ideal values as you. Number one, what are the values? So what are the things that you see in others that, that you want reflected <laughs> in yourself? And then number two, getting judgy. How do you pick out people that you're like, I'm not going to get along with this person. This isn't, this isn't me. Mm. Okay. All right. Let me go. The, okay. So I think the values that I think catch me are, is like having a balance and not chasing the, the rat race for better, you know, lack of a better term. Cause that's what I did for like a decade is I was invisible and I did the best work I possibly could. And I sat there and waited for someone to be like, here's your Grammy, here's your number one or whatever. And so I think that people that are doing something different than that, people that don't want to fit into the mold, people that can do great work and do it in like six or eight hours instead of 27 hours, and they can still have time for family or hobbies. Those are the things that I'm into now. And how, how do I judge people? I guess I don't judge people. I just, I want to hang out with these people. I want to have conversations and maybe like grow further in those directions. If like, somebody's like masterfully balanced and I really like respect the way that they handle their life. I was like, what can I, what can I learn from that? I guess. I don't know. I'm chopping all this out. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you can chop all of it out. That's cool. Like, so, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. What I'm seeing is almost like a parallel between people in the industry who share and you can see them engaging in more of the reality of the industry and life as well in terms of work-life balance, navigating their careers, being focused on critical points which we might not discuss as often as what we should as opposed to potentially engineers and producers who are in that rat race focused on you know, just the facade of, of their craft and, you know, trying to appease, like you said, trying to appease somebody for 10 years and then, you know, get handed your Grammy. So you're looking more, it's almost like a, a life exploration exercise for you to like find, you know. Totally. I just want connection with the real people and real things happening. I don't want to, you know, be told I have to high pass filter every single channel on my mix except the kick drum and the bass drum for the 50th time from some random blog on my newsfeed. Um that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, you know, while you were saying it, to go back to like, to blogs and, and like people arguing on the internet, there's a layer of negativity or maybe not negativity is a good word, but glass half empty. Like something about the music industry, it's like cool to be glass half empty. You know, it's like, oh, what'd you do today? Oh, I did a session and the singer was awful. Okay, cool. You also got paid to record music, which is your passion all day. So when you came over to have a beer and we met at the bar, why are we so negative about doing something that some kid would kill to do that like doesn't have a job in a studio and you do have a job in a studio? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, there's that, that glass half full thing that 
I don't see a lot of in Los Angeles. And I've started to find more glass half full people in LA and on the internet. And you're like, oh, there is like, there is a branch of the music industry that is positive. And it's like, I had a great day doing the thing I love and I don't have to complain about it because I was definitely in the complainer rut for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely get it. Because as I think back on it, it, like I think back to like those like big band days with a bunch of musos and everybody's sort of like, you know, real muso, muso snobs style of thinking where it's like, oh, I don't use Vic Firth's drumsticks because the, the tips are too soft or I use these sort of drumsticks or I don't use these strings or I use those. Like, and, and then it's almost like... um it feeds into insecurities. Um, it feeds into people's egos. But and I think that's sort of like scratching the surface. But as those things, they they happen much at a younger age when you're starting out in the music industry. But True. they sort of transpire into insecurities and bad mental health. Because I've known so many incredible musicians who think they're horrible and have bad mental health sort of issues. And it's sort of like, well. A lot of those, you know, half glass full people, is it their insecurities talking? Is it like, I'm going to say this this single was bad or this session went bad or make every excuse in the book because, you know, when people have to hear this, I need something to lean back on or, you know, like I'm just sort of like trying to go down that route where I think there's a lot more bit below the surface in the music industry, which we don't address, which is like sort of the mental health and, and the way we take care of ourselves. Like you said, most people don't get any exercise. No. And, and a lot of musicians will work until three, four in the morning and then eat crap in the morning and not get enough sleep or, you know, really don't, don't take care of themselves. And I'm not trying to say everybody has to be a health freak. And this isn't about becoming a health podcast. It's more so about being conscious of the effort we take to take care of ourselves mentally, physically, and, you know, psychologically. So we're in a positive space. We feel good about what we're doing. And yeah, I think it pays for, even if you're not one of those people who are in a bad space, just to have the effort to those around you to ask how they are, you know, just be like, Hey, is everything good? You know, so often I, I, I um, have clients that feel guilty because they said they were going to start a project. Let's say, Oh, we're going to start this project in February and it doesn't come around till March because of something that's happened or, you know, life happens, things get pushed back. So, yeah. so forth. And I always tell them, dude, that's cool. I only care about one thing. How are you doing? Are you okay? You know, is, is yeah, yeah, everything's cool, Nick. I just, I just feel bad. I was like, yeah, that's don't, don't have to feel bad. Just as long as you're good, that, that that's like a million times more important than this project coming in for mixing or mastering or whatever. Just like, and I think we we sort of uh, the only time that gets put on a pedestal is when a tragedy happens. It's like something happens in the music industry. Somebody passes on unfortunate circumstances, and then everybody's talking about. It. It's like, well, what are you going to be doing next month? Are you, you, you you know, we're, we're all sort of in this rat race where we're like pushing really hard for ourselves, but yeah. it, it takes it takes like two lines in an email or three seconds at the end of the call just to be like, hey, dude, all good? Yeah, all good. 99% of the time, yeah, all good. That 1%, you catch somebody in an off day, oh, this has happened. Hey, you know, you don't have to spill the beans to me if you want to. I'm here, but just know that, you know, you've got somebody in your corner. And it's like, it's a small thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good, it's a good human thing. Yeah, I don't mean to harp on about it, but I think that's why you look for the people that you look for because you're like, I want positive influences. I want to be around people that that I can learn from for myself because you're like, I, I, you know, I want to bounce. I want to bounce these values. I want to explore them. I want to, and, and I think that's good. I th- and yeah. I think it's healthy to document. Like the most awesome thing about this is that 
it's documented in a podcast. So then people can come back to this and be like, oh, wow. Okay. Not only did Travis get to enjoy the company of this person, this really cool person all the way from Melbourne, Australia, but I did as well. Um, but yeah. you get what I'm saying there. I, I think I think you know it's 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 good that that's what you're looking for in in um the people you connect with. It's not necessarily about the prestige of their career or um what you can get out of them. It's it's more so hey, how do we connect on the values which are positive, which are helpful, which are you know conducive to good action. I think is the right word. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't remember who said this, but it's like you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So it's like, if you can surround your, just take that out further, like surround yourself with people that are encouraging, people that like support your, whatever it is, you want to put a record out and like you're insecure about it. And your four other artist friends also have records that they're insecure about and nobody wants to release their record. None of those people are going to release records. Like if you're surrounded by people that are like, put it out, you're going to do another record. You're going to hate the first one. Just put it out. Then you're going to put your record out. It's, you know, it's also a little bit of that. I like to surround my audience with uh, people that I think can hopefully make, make things better for them or, or they can learn from. So, yeah, I have to, uh, I have to give you credit for completely saving my personal podcast performance on this one. <laughs> Cause like I said, I just, I just came in came in tired and I feel like you just flipped it around on me and now I have this energy boost. I, I want to go back to the first couple questions. <laughs> Not really, but... No, you're more than welcome to go back to them. But like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. I sort of flipped it there because I love doing podcasts. I love chatting about what I do and like people who are listening to this, like fuck Nick harps on about crap for too long. But the reality is I, I, got, I got onto this podcast because I'm like, well, the actual premise of it was, hey, need to catch up with Travis, need to learn a little bit more. Let's kill two birds with one stone and do it That's in the right. podcast. And then I'm an interview, Let's do it. interview guest. I'm like, ah, oh, he's just going to ask me questions for the next hour. No, no, we're having, we're having, oh, fuck. Uh, you know, yeah, no, we're having a good hang. I do have to ask you some questions before we go, though, because there are rules to this show. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go through the rules. So I have one question that I haven't asked anybody. And so you're, you're a guinea pig on this one. And I don't even know how to <laughs> phrase it, but I've thought a lot about like things that have happened in my career. And I feel like, it's because I've put myself, whether I did it on purpose or not, in a position to, for that opportunity to come to me. And it's something I've been talking to a lot of people about, just the positioning of like, you know, if you want to make pop records, don't work at a rock and roll studio. If you want to do film scoring, don't, you know, be a front of house person or whatever. And so is there any time you can think of where you put yourself in a position to get an opportunity that ended up to be a big career leap? Something that whether you put yourself there on purpose or not but you look back and you realize oh shit that was the fact that i executed on that at that time was big for me i can tell you the opposite what happened i'll take the opposite i had a big opportunity and i threw it away and because the thing is all the opportunities which which like all the things that have transpired into being good opportunities for me have been just because i've been doing what i set out to do when i was still trying to figure out what the hell to do in this music industry i just wanted to be part of music create yeah. Have a good time. You know, that, that that's pretty much it. And, you know, I just keep doing that every day for the last eight, nine years. That's worked out for me. Something which didn't work out, which I was kicking myself. Like this happened probably four or five years ago. So this manager calls me of a like multi-platinum artist. They need to get these acoustic recordings mixed for within the next couple of weeks. And me being, you know, e-guru, like read so much about, you know, sales and this, that, the other. I'm asking them these questions 
You know, how many stems are there? Where was it recorded? How was it recorded? Is it edited? Is it tuned? I did you didn't want to fucking hear that. You know what they wanted to know? Yeah, I'll do it. This is the price. And then they would have been on. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, send it across. Have a listen. Never heard back from them. Never, 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 never heard back from them. I was killing myself. I'm like, fuck, I wanted to work with this hardest. This is my own <laughs> fault. So then, so it was a lesson. It was a lesson learned. I didn't set myself up because I'm just in my own fucking head thinking, oh, you know, this is how you do it. You've seen the rate deck I put out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's much easier. I just send that. It's like people see it. Oh, cool. I know exactly what this person's about. Um, still will take the time to listen and have a conversation if somebody needs that, but that, that pretty much covers a lot of a lot of what needs to be answered. The good news about that story. The good news? A few years later, I ended up working with them on a bunch of singles. There you go. There you go. Comes back around. I by, by just haphazardness, not like I didn't even reach back out of the manager. I don't think that person was managing them at the time anymore when I started working back with them. It just circled back around and I was like, Wow, that's that's really cool. That's awesome. And by that point, I didn't have to jump on the call and be like, oh, you got to do this, this, that, the other, and, you know, like jump through three hula hoops and send these stems right. via this platform or whatever. It's just like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Here you go. Let's roll. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, well, you know, going back to our, our glass half empty, glass half full, I, I don't feel like enough people learn from a mistake. They just, they're a bummer about it. But it's like if you talk to anybody outside of music, you talk to like entrepreneurs or, or whatever, like failures is how you learn how to get it right. It's like, I, I've, I've done similar. I've thrown plenty of gigs away probably with a poorly worded email or like a stupid request or something like that. You just have to, fig- you have to remember to learn from all that shit when you do it. Yeah. So actually here's, here's something because I, you're not going to ask me about one of them is you, are you? Cause I don't, I can't think of any. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Um, the main listener base for this would be other producers and engineers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some artists as well, but mostly yeah, artists, uh, producers and engineers probably. Yeah. Okay. I'll even word this for artists as well. Okay. When, when was the last time, you know, you played a gig or you finished a mix or you finished a mastering engineer and you went back to a client, the, the venue manager, the, the booking agent and said, what can I do better? And actually vulnerably open yourself up to criticism because I actually do this about a month after each project. Literally before this call, I was just sending out emails for feedback saying, and, and I can read out the email copy. Where are we? Here, here it is. Um, I want to have a heart-to-heart. And now sometimes time's elapsed since we finished your project. How did I do on it for you? Is there anything I can do better to serve creatives I work with? I want to learn and improve for the future. I'll send that out. That's amazing. So, And, and the thing is, the things that have surfaced from it have been awesome. Awesome. So, you know, like uh, send multiple formats for my masters. I wouldn't put them in folders. That'd all be five files in one folder. And people would get so confused because I'd see the name and like all these like, you know, 44, one, 48, this, that, the other. And they'll be like, which files for what? And one of my clients is also a project manager. And they're like, Nick, this is horrible. I, I don't know which one's which. Put them in folders. That was the that was the response he got. He gave me that email. So now I put them in folders. I've never had anybody confused or ask me a question again. Because there's clearly labeled distribution, press kit, uh, high res, Apple Digital Master. It's labeled on the folder. That's just one example. But what I'm trying to say is when was the last time you actually asked somebody how you fucked up your job or, or like in, in a nicer way, just like, oh, how can I improve? You know, what, what did, where, where, how can I do this better for you next time? Yeah. Because people finish the job, high fives all around, they move on to the next one. Totally. I mean, I don't think I have ever done that. Yeah, do it. Start tomorrow. 
Start tomorrow. All right, I'll put it on my to do list. Start tomorrow. Just go go back a month in your go on your books. Go go back a month for projects you completed last month. Send a bunch of emails out. Hey guys, it's been a month. No, we we kicked it off here, but how can I do better next time? Yeah, you you get some really cool responses and 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 they're things that would never surface in a brainstorming session because you don't sit there thinking. You don't sit there think you haven't had their experience, even though you're working on the record, you're in the project with them. Yeah. You know, you don't know the conversations I have with other band members. You don't know the things that are like, oh, I wish he had done that, but he didn't do it. And that's cool. But, you know, like they let it slide. So, yeah, that's for all the listeners. That's a, that's a tough one. It's going to, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. I I think, uh, I think I'm going to try it tomorrow, maybe the day after. No, do it tomorrow. Don't be complacent. All right. I'm going to do it. You're going to email me in like two days to see if I did it. Actually, I'm going to, I got to write down to do it. But uh, that's really, uh, that's interesting. I love that. I mean, I've definitely tried different like workflows with some of my, my really close regular clients and been like, Hey, what do you think of this? And I gotten immediate feedback. Like I like the way that you work before way better than this using this other technology. He's like, I don't, don't, don't ever use that. Don't send that to anybody you don't know. And I was like, okay, perfect. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> so but uh, okay, so I know uh, that you've got to start your day. I did not spill water, oh, so that's good. That's good. So I got. I, let me ask you the uh, the last traditional closing questions to progressions, and uh, we can chat through those. Was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you? Um, that's a really open question. I know. I think the goal the goalposts for that are always moving. Yeah, like drastically. Like at the start, it's like make this sustainable in terms of turn profit and actually make a living wage off it. You know, that, that, that yeah. happens and that's cool. And then the next one is like, oh, grow the business as big as it can. And like, you know, that, that grow, the business has grown to a really good, good size that's sustainable and that's cool. And, and now I'm sort of like the, the goalpost is um, you focus so much on the business, now, now just enjoy it, you know, like really get creative, be fun, have fun, you know, do all the things outside of like, because, because what happens is like in the sessions, I'm, I'm, I'm like fucking, you know, like, you know, you know, those like, uh, memes of like the brains that are like, you know, like, uh, different brains at different levels. I'm like the, the one with all the wires coming out of it. And I'm like thinking at a million miles a second. So I love, I love being in session, but, but, but in the past outside of session, I used to loathe all the other stuff. Oh fuck social media. Fuck putting this video together. It's so like, I do it, but it's like, it's, but now I'm sort of at like a point like, how can I make that fun and creative? You know, how can I enjoy everything of the business? Um, cause I've got that freedom to now. Like if I do a yeah. video and I scrap it, it's like, yeah, that's cool. You know, I still got jobs coming in, paying the bills. It's cool. You know, scrap yeah. the idea. I know it's half a day wasted, but who cares? So now my, my version of success is just to enjoy everything about it. So yeah. And that can be looked a bit complacently, but you know, like that, that's just where it is. So that's my answer. Yeah. Goalposts always moved. You sort of got a whole view of the goalposts, which have moved for me, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I asked that question. A lot of people kind of answer and recently, a lot of people recently have been answering in kind of a similar question, like, oh, it's always moving. And I'm like, yeah, it should always be moving, right? Like you should be always stretching to something else. But yeah, I totally respect enjoying everything, enjoying what you do yeah. as a current goalpost on that. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. So, yeah. And it looks like I, you enjoy the social media stuff. Some people just, I, I enjoy doing it. I have a hard time finding the time to do it. But like yours come across as like you're actually having a good time. You like doing it. How do you do it so consistently? Are you batching these things or do you just like you actually do something every day? No. Well, the thing is I force myself to do it. 
um, in the start, which meant then I had lots of friction points like everybody has. Oh, how do you edit this so quickly? Oh, how do you think of the ideas so quickly? Yeah. Oh, how do you post it on so many platforms so quickly? It's like, okay, well, they, these are these are naturally occurring things. I'm not void of any of these stresses. But then over time, I figured, well, and this is why I actually got to get that interface fixed because that's going to cause a lot of shit with my my reels at the moment. Um, <laughs> no, but this is, so then, then you figure out solutions. So it's like, okay, first one is how do I come up with the ideas so quickly? Well, simple. I'm going to put all the ideas out from sessions and things I'm doing, okay? If I'm working on a session, I have an aha moment, I send a note to a client, I'm asked or requested to do a certain thing, there it is. That's my content. I have an experience, I have a conversation with somebody, I encounter a particular problem with a client, whatever, that's the content right there. Don't have to think about it anymore, okay? Yeah. That, that thing's bypassed. Next thing, okay, how do we create it so quickly? Oh, well, for a moment there, I just went purely on the iPhone. I was like, no. Nope. Not going to use the camera, not going to use anything, just the iPhone because it's all in there. That helped. That helped a lot because it was it was quick. It's like, yeah, point, shoot, done, move on. Yeah. But then it's sort of like, oh, wait a second. The production quality isn't that great. And something that's important to me is that what I'm putting together connects with other people. Otherwise, if it's not connecting with anyone, you're just sort of shooting crap. And then, you know, what's the whole purpose of that? Like you're putting this out there so people can connect with it, pull value, pull lessons out of it, engage, you know, like. That's important part of it. Um, that's also a creative part of it. It's like, how do you tell that story to connect somebody with it? It's like, okay, I'm going to make this more frictionless than just the iPhone. So then I got some small rig clamps, clamped a, a DSLR onto one of them that sits right across from my desk. Um, and that's just USB'd into OBS. And that all in OBS is set to 1080 by 1920. So it's portrait mode for the iPhone in OBS. Ready to go. Ready to go. I literally just hit start recording. Talk, blah, 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 done. I've even got my key light on a small rig arm. So it's a little LED light box, okay? Yeah. It's on the small rig arm. I uh, unloosen the small rig or loosen the small rig, sorry, the clamp, and it just ducks behind my monitor. When I want the light, I unscrew it, pops up, press the button on. It's hardwired in, so no need to change batteries. Hey, blah, 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 blah. 15 seconds later, it's done. Airdrop to my phone, it's up there, done. So I, I fulfill both those things, the, the necessity for the, those messages to connect with an audience, speed and efficiency, ideas. I literally can just be in a session and do it. The one caveat to that, which is a ball breaker though, is sometimes I have to hold off on releasing things. I got to wait for the actual songs to come out because, you know, I can't be, it's not like I have any ownership over the intellectual property to have that sort of, um, you know, freedom to just be like, oh, look what I'm mastering, you know? And then someone's like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Right, right. No, it's it's cool. You do a good job with that. Anybody that happens to see a clip of uh, this show, um, Nick's camera is not in function for this one. <laughs> so it's not going to look like his reels. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. No, you're, he's just on his laptop. On my laptop. The, the bloody interfaces are like, really? I've got to figure that out. So at the moment, all my reels are actually... Um, it's actually funny. <laughs> now it's more of a convoluted system because I'm using voice memos on my laptop and running the camera, then resyncing it in post, which is just like mm. a bit of a ball breaker until I get this interface sorted. I've got an Mbox somewhere, but um, the problem with the Mbox is it doesn't like work on my new iMac for some reason because it's an old Mbox. It's like 2011. It's like handle Mbox, you know, the ones, you know. Oh, wow. It's like That's like Mbox 2 or something. Yeah, Three, so, so it doesn't work. So I'm like, oh, no, but that isn't the one that broke, but that's my only backup at the moment. So, you know, is what it is. I sort of have to yeah. you know, deal with it. And Did you remember the pain of having to have a Pro Tools interface plugged in in order to work Pro Tools? Oh, 
Yes. Oh my God. I haven't thought about that until you said the word mbox. It's been so long. What an awful time that was. When nine came out, that was the best. Yeah. It was like, you know, it's funny because like how big of a deal it was. But then when we think back at it, we're like, are we that fucking stupid that like we thought that was a big deal? Like who cares about Pro Tools? We could have used anything else. Like, <laughs> anything at least that else. is the case for me. Yeah, totally. At least that's the case for me because uh, that sort of transition ha- happened like when I was just sort of like starting out to intern at recording studios. So I was still learning the technology at the time. So it's like, why don't I just go over to Logic or go over to something else? Yeah, they've got their limitations. But at the time I was only learning and I was ignorant to it all. But for me, it was like, I got to be on Pro Tools. I got to be on Pro Tools. And then, you know, no more no more interfaces needed. Number nine yeah. comes out, you can use the aggregate devices. And it's like, wow. Yeah, it was a game changer, as ridiculous as that sounds. Did you ever buy Pro Tools when it used to come with like a, a free version of Ableton Live? No. That didn't pan out very well <laughs> for Avid. No, no, no. I, I still got um, all my original boxes and CDs and stuff, but no, never, oh, never wow. bought one with Ableton Live. That's yeah. It, 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 there was a chunk of time where it used to come with uh, a version of Live. It was like Live maybe three or something. That's weird, right? <laughs> Could you imagine that that now? But uh, all right. So uh, last question here: the traditional final yeah. closing question. Right now, what is your current biggest goal, and what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? Oh, I don't mean to be rude. But like all I'm thinking about is eating lunch right now. <laughs> so I'm like, like when you ask that question, I'm like, what's my biggest goal? Eat lunch. What's my first step? Get to the kitchen. Turn the stove on. <laughs> so sorry, man. I don't mean to, I don't mean to put a dampener on, on the question. I'm just like fucking hungry right now. So where are we going with this? What's my biggest goal? What's my first step towards it? Yeah. So my biggest goal is using my my content platform in terms of across my socials and YouTube and and just generally my process to create content. Um, that's been pretty fruitful for me in my career. Not that it's, it's been intended to, but it has been in terms of people. It's given me visibility. Um, obviously, you've seen the stuff. My biggest goal for this year is to actually allow others around me, so other mixing engineers, other producers, not allow, but sort of invite them into that fold to help, you know, bolster their projects up. You know, if they've got a sample library they're putting out or if they're, you know, like Carl's got his podcast so we're doing live streams together, you know, to allow people to fold into that circle to build up their own things as well so those around me can sort of grow with me as I'm sort of exploring that sort of side of things. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the first step towards that, uh, i, I got to get on the phone with someone actually because uh, they're putting together sample packs and, they need to get me some stems to use in a YouTube video. So that's probably the first step. Just get on the phone to them. Cool. But before I do that, I've got to eat, man. <laughs> well, we will let you do that. It's been great hanging out. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet and uh, any anything you want to share with anybody before we go? Yeah, I have my OnlyFans account linked below. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> so my socials, where you can find me. If you search my name, um, Nicholas Lorenzo, you'll find... Clean, G-rated content with the odd F-bomb across Instagram, panorama underscore mastering, panoramamastering.com, my Facebook page. Um, yeah, and if, and if you're searching me up and you do genuinely find anything interesting, I know, you know, not everybody likes to like sort of jump in on the comments and be all public about things, but if you find something or you've got a question or whatnot, you can always just slide in the DMs and go, Nick, you did this, X, Y, Z, just 
you know, wanted to ask you a question or how do you go about this? I haven't seen you speak about it. That's cool. I'm open to answering things. You're just going to be patient with me to respond because sometimes I take a while. Amazing. Awesome. Well, this has been uh, this has been a great hang. I will let you go eat. And yeah, hopefully I will talk to you soon. Definitely. All right. Thank you. Thank you kindly for having me on. It's been a pleasant conversation. That's it for episode 64. Thanks to Nicholas DeLorenzo for coming to hang out with us. Please check out his work. And obviously, thanks to all of you for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts and maybe sharing the show with a friend who you think might enjoy it. And finally, don't forget to get in the conversation over at completeproducer.net. And on that, I will see you all next time.